Welcome to the Indian Science Show. I'm Annie. And I'm Turtle. And this is a podcast where we bring different worldviews together into conversations about science in Indian country. Greetings and welcome to the Indian Science Show. Today's episode is all about being indigenous in the modern world. And we start off with just a quick update. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we've been gone for a month, so it's a nice little recap of what we've been doing since then. Yes, lots of changes, lots of drama. Dealing with family. Yep, yep, good old uh, good old res life. <laughs> and then we move into just talking about how grateful we are that everybody supported the show and that we get reviews on iTunes. And, yes. And then we, we kind of go over a little bit about how we've been rethinking the phrase being indigenous in the modern world. Mm-hmm. And... Then we we basically BS for the for oh, the man. most for the most part we just BS very off topic subject. It's a true being indigenous in the modern world because we did not stay on topic at any point within this episode. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this topic is <laughs> it's kind of like an a topic. It's such a huge yeah. concept that in, it's really about a lifestyle and about how we can. It's like a little bit of, in a ways. It's almost about how to how to think about how we live. Mm-hmm. We go talk from. Chernobyl to huckleberries. It's a very broad scoping episode yes. right now. Everything from nuclear energy. And we didn't talk about nuclear bombs. No. Which is a little bit of a tragedy because they're pretty dang epic and crazy. Just those reactors. Yep. So we talk a little bit about nuclear power as layman's because we neither one of us really knows that much no. about it. But it's an interesting topic. And I think the the concepts of modern science and all the tools and how powerful they are that has a lot to do with how we can be indigenous in the modern world yep so thanks for joining us again on another episode of the indian science show enjoy the episode hey everybody (laughs) welcome back to the show it's been a while obviously we're back in montana with that country accent yeah hey (laughs) y'all And that's interesting because even in Western Montana here, uh, some you meet some ranchers. They have that southern oh, draw. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. And I've always been curious. I got all sorts of theories about where that comes from because not all of them come from the south. Mm-hmm. Some do, but plenty don't. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there, there's some research to I feel be done like some on that. Midwesterners too have like some sort of drawn out accent. Hmm. That is something that I've never done any reading on is all the different accents and the research because I'm sure there's research that some researchers are doing on accents here in the United States. Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of them. I said Crick the other day when I was telling a visitor and they're like, Crick? And I was like, Creek. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's not a Crick. It's a Creek. It's a Crick. Up there, go Crick fishing. (laughs) It's a Crick in Montana. Yeah. (laughs) I I like both Creek. Yeah, I do too. I just going to say Crick. For some reason, it's just crick. I noticed that I, I flip-flop depending on who I'm talking to. You know, I've been more aware, so I have been cre- saying creek a lot more. But when I just like offhand and I like I'm not thinking about it, it's crick. Hmm. And then when I hear creek, then I think of like the Seminoles and the creeks. And, oh, you know, yeah. Like, oh, it gets, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, oh. we instead of getting into a reading a review... We wanted to just give a shout out to everybody that's left us in a review on iTunes. Yes. And if you haven't yet, definitely go on there because that helps a ton when people leave reviews on iTunes for us. It does. And there's so far, we've gotten good reviews and good comments. And there was one review, though, <laughs> that was a one-star review. Damn. And I was a little bit surprised because I thought, wow. I thought that we were amazing. My mom tells me all the time <laughs> that we're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm sure she would. <laughs> And so I got no problem with that. Totally. If you don't like our show and you think it's that bad, give us one star for sure. But tell us why. Yeah, that's what I'm curious. I'm I'm curious. So how could we get that to maybe like a one and a half star or like two stars? Two or maybe even three. Give us like a mediocre, like your average. Well, I mean, no, if if you really do think that it's a one star show, (laughs) give us one star. But I'd appreciate a little bit of feedback. It doesn't even have to be constructive feedback, but just some feedback of some sort. So if you are still listening, our (laughs) one-star reviewer, leave us a little bit of feedback, like a comment or anything. You can even be anonymous. I don't think you have to put a, like a, 
No, you, you can reach at uh, Indian Science Show at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Be anonymous that way. Yeah, and totally. I got no problem with getting a one-star review. I was almost like, yes, we're right. successful now. We got one-star reviews. I feel like Robin always gives me a one-star review on my my uh, papers anyway. <laughs> That's kind of her job, though, isn't it? Exactly. I like constructive <laughs> criticism. It lets me know what I need to work on. Yeah, and that's what she gives the one star, but then she's like, oh, and this is why yeah. you deserve one star. And then when you get that five star, and then you're like, yeah. Yeah, I earned that shit. I did. <laughs> So, yeah, thank you, everyone, whether you give us one star, two stars, three stars, four or five. It doesn't matter if you can just get on iTunes and leave us a review. That helps a lot. It helps us get out to more listeners. It helps us understand if we're doing a good job or not. Mm -hmm. And especially if you leave some criticism, (laughs) it helps us understand what we can do better. Yeah. And what we're also what we are doing. Well, yeah, we're always looking for improvements. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, let's move on to the Indigifact. Which is always fun. Uh-huh, and yeah. this one's a weird one. I had no idea they've been research, <laughs> researching this for such a long time. And today's Indigifact is about how the hell do cats always land on their feet? I don't know. Yeah, I thought I knew. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was their tails. I thought they had magic tails or something. They could spin them in a certain way. And, you know, like yeah. when you go to the southern hemisphere and... It goes the other way. Even though it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another myth that got busted for me was it has nothing to do with their tails. It has a lot more to do with, so they have this strange physiology where they have a floating clavicle or their collarbone isn't attached Mm. like most mammals. Yeah. And that's part of why they can squeeze into little teeny tiny spaces. Oh, it's very annoying. (laughs) Yeah. Cats are so weird. (laughs) They're like these super evolved killing machines. They are. They are. And they are yeah. killing machines. Oh, totally. Wild cats are the worst. Wild domesticated cats are the worst thing for any population of any ecosystem. They kill a lot. I'm going to go on a little tangent. Hold on. They kill so oh, many wild birds that a lot of the populations within that have large cities that have large wild cats that they end up losing a good percentage of their birds. Like, where was it at? Okay, I got to think about Ferky. Ferky talks about this all the time. But Minnesota or somewhere in there, like 80% of the birds have gone away because of cats. Whoa. Like um, eight, like just a pure population or is it the diversity? Like, like the, the diversity and like the population size, like how many birds, because there's so many cats that feed on birds that they're just no longer going there. Yeah. And we have three cats here in my house and they rarely eat the, like they hardly ever eat them either. So it's not like they're... they just kill them. You know, it's like a, it's a prey sport. Yeah. They're like trophy hunters. They huh. show it to you. They drop it off at your feet. They're like, look, I got you a present. I know. And I've, I've, they, I've even had them bring mice mm-hmm. and drop them and they weren't even dead yet. And they ran off <laughs> and was like, what are we, wait a minute. You're not even doing your job that. So yeah. that's another myth. Is cats are good my- mousers that that no. they came into our societies for to get to keep rodent populations down and that they're, that's not really what they're useful for at all. Cats are jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why we like them so much. So we have this cat and his name is Pumpkin, and he's so rude to the other cats, <laughs> but he's also extremely rude to us. Yeah. But he's the it's favorite. He's the, he's the favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my I think gosh. that says a lot. It does. My my cat's Porter. Um, you know, we've got a lot of anxiety issues, a lot of stress issues, special diets, $50 a bag. Whoa, is it like a small bag? Yeah, it's not even that big. Huh. We have calming spray for him. Calming spray. You know. So is it like drugs? <laughs> it's supposed to be like a, like lavender. You know how lavender supposed, like the scent supposed to be relaxing? Hmm. There's a cat version. I've come to so find like out. the opposite of catnip. Exactly, it's supposed to calm you down, and uh. and so we we have a lot of issues. So cats are a hundred percent unique animals, and I think that they're amazing. In the fact that they have can land on their feet says a lot. Yeah, it does. So getting back to the indigifact, <laughs> the whole reason they can land on their feet is partially because of that floating clavicle, but also because they have extremely flexible spines. Ooh, and that's true, so it's it's a weird process and they this guy published an article in new science like a half century in 1960 and he has a very interesting name dr donald mcdonald dr donald mcdonald <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, this article is called how does a cat fall on its feet 
And in this article, he describes how the process and um, they have actually been doing research on this since the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And right. And then, so for the longest time, people have seen what the heck, how do they always land on their feet? And so we've known this for a long time that they always land on their feet, but we didn't really know how until the advent of cameras. And mm. so they they started doing using doing experiments with cameras and slowing it down and just watching the process. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it has and there's a they're they're utilizing some physics yeah. kind of properties, some physics things like angular momentum and things like that. But what happens is right when they drop and they're going towards the ground on their back, they tuck their front feet in, and then they arch their back so it kind of splits their body in two. And then they uh, they use their inner ear and mm-hmm. their eyes and ears to find out which way is up and down. And mm-hmm. then they angle their head down or uh, towards the ground. Yeah. And then they bring their upper body follows. Yeah. And a part of the reason they can do that motion is because they have that floating clavicle. And then they because of the conservation of angular momentum, which basically says that. Um, if there's no outside force acting on a body, that momentum is going to be conserved mm-hmm. as it travels around this f- this center point. Mm-hmm. And so that that process of the upper body moving then transfers through their body to their lower body. And as their lower body starts twisting, they tuck their back feet in. And once all their feet are facing towards the ground, they stick their feet out and arch their back so when they land it breaks the shock Jeez, yeah there always happens like crazy little creatures within seconds too that's crazy Mm -hmm. cats are insane yeah and so the and this so that was that that experiment from dr donald mcdonald Mm -hmm. from the 1960 but there's also a woman that did this uh etienne jules marie i think a french physiologist in 1894 Wow. Did a very similar experiment, but with m- older camera mm-hmm. technology and the same conclusions that th- they have this very unique physiology about them and it allows them to twist and turn in ways that most mammals yeah. just can't. Huh. And again, it speaks to their trippy evolution and that right. they're just super amazing predators. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're designed to be predators. That's crazy. And so, the, and they have a name for this. It's called the writing reflex, huh. and it's it's partial. It's I, I believe that's dis- what describes how they figure out which way is up and down, mm-hmm. and that begins the process of them turning their whole body. And it starts with their inner ear and their eyes and their ears to figure out which way is up and down. And they move their head and then their shoulders and their upper body. And the reason all that's possible, that they can do that separate of their lower body, is because they have a crazy flexible spine. <laughs> and then that translates through the, con- the conservation of angular momentum into their mm-hmm. lower body. And then their lower body twists, and then boom, they're on their feet. Interestingly enough, they also found that they can't do it if it's anything less than 12 inches off the ground. So if they're like just a foot off the ground, yeah. they're shit out of luck. <laughs> they're just but falling that's, on their back. Yeah. That's, that's that's actually pretty reasonable. Yeah, that, that's like pretty close to the ground. That's like yeah. a second fall. Yeah. Yeah, um, even less than that probably. Yeah. And just thinking like, wow, so if it's a foot and a half, they can still do it? That's crazy. Well, I told you when Porter fell off of the loft and yeah. he was fine. That uh-huh. was like, uh, let's see, I'm five foot. This is mad. It was like at least 20 feet off the ground. Wow. Maybe that might be exaggeration. 15 feet. Maybe maybe three of me stacked up. Hmm. Yeah. And so, but that doesn't mean they can't get injured. If it's high enough, they, I mean, yeah. it, I mean, it, basically anything falls far enough, they're going to splat. Oh, so. but that, but still that's impressive. Yeah. Cats. They're very Cats. impressive. They're super killers. Yeah. Beware of your, uh, of your cat, of your local neighborhood birds. Yeah, exactly. Keep them safe. Keep your birds safe. And I tell my parents all this time: if you have a chance to make your cat an indoor cat, keep your cats indoors. And that's so sad because they love cat, they want to go outside. Yeah, they do. So we should just not have cats. I think. Yeah, exactly. If you can keep your cat inside, or if you're like my cat, where he can only be inside because everything else is too anxious outside. Yeah, and dogs are better anyway. Yeah. Well, no, I ain't that tea now. Well, so are you, you're a cat? <laughs> I'm you're, a cat, but I'm a, a thousand percent a cat person. I used to be a dog person, and then I got a cat. 
you know, they're just more, as I say this, as I have a very high-maintenance cat, generally, they're more or less needy for you. <laughs> Coming from the, the, the chick with the relaxation spray. <laughs> exactly. Where my cat is not a regular cat. I swear my cat's a dog, though. He, I'll, maybe I'll post it somewhere, but he will, when I get home, he will flop himself on the floor in front of me and roll over so I can scratch his belly. Hmm. That's, you know, my cat, a couple of my cats do that too. Yeah. So, I mean, I swear like they're kind of like dogs, but they're, not. They're, just, they're just more independent and they tend to make a lot more noise at night. Hmm. Yeah. We have one cat here that is so annoying and he, it's like obnoxious meowing yeah. oh, just, just oh. to get people's, but I mean, that's yeah. cool because it's usually because he needs something. He, he wants outside he'll or whatever. Just let you, yeah. He sometimes Porter just says hello, just to say hello. And then I'll say hello back and then he'll go about his business. Huh. Just be quiet then. And I'm hmm. just like, oh my gosh, Porter, like you need to stop. <laughs> and it'll be at like three o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. You know, this is time, prime time for him to be awake, which yeah. means I'm going to jump on mom and it's going to be great because she's going to be up. So we, we, you know, we're struggling hmm. just a little bit. <laughs> I'm totally a dog person, but you know, I might be a little bit jaded on cats because we have, we used to have four oh, that's and, a lot. and yeah, it's. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I cannot stand the smell of cat piss and cat. Yeah. Uh, they're they're gross. So like when there's too many of them and they're pooping in that little yeah. sandbox and you all have to the time. Clean it all the time. Yeah, it gets disgusting. Well, do you want to know something? A little TMI. <laughs> so the reason I know Porter is such an anxious, stressed out kitty is because he pees blood, and I guess oh. that's a normal thing for cats that are generally more stressed and anxious. Yeah. How did you find that out? He, if it, Oh, because... Is it like red spots in the... Uh, yeah, well, yes, that too. So when I clean his litter box, it's like that too. But one day, he decided that he wanted to pee in front of me on the bed. And when I looked down, <laughs> <laughs> it was bright red. And I was like, holy crap. Rushed him to the vet. And they're like, oh yeah, well, male cats have to... Their pee has to work a little bit harder because it's got to do like a 90 degree turn. And they're like, oh yeah, that's pretty normal. Give him some like a... Uh, like muscle relaxers and it should make it go Jeez, away. Jeez, your cat's got relaxation spray, <laughs> muscle relaxers. <laughs> and he's such, he's just so high maintenance. I love him dearly. I wouldn't change him for the world. Adopted him from a shelter just because he, that's the same reason some people couldn't handle that. Mm, yeah. So we're, we're making it through it. Yeah. But yeah, we got issues. Hmm. <laughs> well, at least you're working through them. We're working through it. Kind of, progress kind of like, moving forward moving forward like the last month has been that's been my strongest issue is getting him relaxed into a new apartment from a four-day drive from new york yeah i bet he hated the entire because you got him time. over in new york is that right i did yeah no wonder he was yeah. stressed out he was living in new york <laughs> i would be stressed yeah. out too <laughs> <laughs> so now with the indigo fact facts Facts. Uh, lots of facts. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how much of that was facts. I know at least the <laughs> the uh, cats landing on their feet. That's a fact. But uh, the the rest of that is to be said. Maybe that'll be some material for another corrections episode. Probably. Which is always a little fun because I I love to find out when I'm wrong because then I know <laughs> okay now I'm now I'm not quite as wrong as I used to be. But anyways. The topic of today is being indigenous in the modern world, which is a topic that we keep coming back to because it, I mean, it's, it's almost a non-topic because it's yeah. like a, it's a, a way of living. Yeah. It's, it's this philosophical idea of like, how can you be indigenous in the modern world? I mean, or yeah. are we being indigenous in the modern world or are we just hoping that we're being indigenous? So there's a lot right. of questions involved in this and um, before we get into that, I think a part of that is just, it's really hard to travel and maintain, I think in general, but when you have mm -hmm. ceremony and really close family ties involved in the picture, which a lot of indigenous communities have, and I mean, everybody loves family. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. We all value family. But I, I'd say that maybe the, one of the big differences between indigenous communities and other communities that don't identify as being indigenous is our, it's like our whole community, even if it's not our family, it, that we consider them like our extended family. Mm -hmm. And, but also we have huge families. So. <laughs> we do. I know that was really tough. So we're back in Montana 
We for did. now, I'll be back in Syracuse, New York, in August, and so next monthish. Oh um, my gosh, that's coming up so fast. Yeah, I know. Where did the time fly? <gasps> I know, and it just suck in. Suck. It just <laughs> sunk in this morning that wow, I I'm only here for a couple months. Jeez. Whereas when I was traveling back, I was thinking, yeah, I'll be able to be there for three months and yeah. be able to settle in and go camping and hang out with my boys. No. But no, I mean, I can do all that and yeah. I have been, but it's just uh, not as much as it's, I wanted to. Dang. And I'll be here. Oh my gosh. For a while. I, uh, I'll i go back in November for a month and then that's it. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that we'll be graduating and we will be masterful we will. at our craft. This we will. There is uh, no if. December. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am graduating in December. I um. I'm totally ready to to move on. Yeah, gotta get shit done. Yeah. Gotta take some names and get some degrees. <laughs> or a, a degree. A degree. Yeah. And you know, Just I've I've wondered why don't they call us masters? Like you are now a master. Yeah, you, or you they, be a they don't put they don't put that master after yeah, your name. Yeah, I want to be Master Sorel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. I almost I would almost like to stick there and never get a PhD, so I could just be, ma- I just be a master. master. I don't physical. need to be a doctor. I just yeah. need to be a master. <laughs> yeah. Just be a master at everything. So, mm. uh, so part of the reason we decided to take this last month and a half off from recording was we were traveling on different schedules. Yeah. And I think we both kind of intuitively knew that we wouldn't be able to get right back to it right away because of a lot of family things going on. But yeah. also, um, there's ceremony and there's powwow season. And I ended up having to completely focus on my family. Yeah. Um, I did too, you know, I think Arlie Powell, or Arlie Celebration, Arlie S.E. Upkaney, probably is what I should be calling it, hmm. you know, just got over and uh, it was one, you know, I have been very fortunate that I haven't lost a lot of people in my life. And so this year I've had two very, very, two very, very, um, hard deaths in my family, my aunt and then my cousin, Sari, that I had to help my mom a lot. It was being with my family. And then I took an internship on top of everything else. So my life, I needed the break to kind of get those things in order. And uh, um, I'm very happy to get on the podcast, though. Yeah. It's always been in the back of my mind, like, okay, I'm going to do it. We're going to record sometime. Record yeah. So, the, <laughs> so it took a while. The but plan was a month, but. Yeah. Things happen. A month-ish. A month-ish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It's been a good month, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my month has been okay. <laughs> but that's that's okay. Yeah. Life doesn't always have to be epic and constantly full of, well, it can be. It can be. I mean, I think that you had a lot more um, family issues, you know, than I did. Mine was just more professional issues and oh, time management. <clears throat> you know, I've been a little overworking while I can before I get really, really heady with my research. So it's been a little different. Yeah. Yeah, very different than last year when we came back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Last year, I was like a breeze. Well, because we didn't get approval from anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now I got approval from everybody, and I'm just like, oh, no. I got so much stuff to do by uh, October when Mm -hmm. our first draft of our thesis was due. (laughs) Exactly. And I I, I guess I have the opposite situation, but kind of similar, where I have a lot of work to do now, but that's because I didn't get approval. Yeah. Which is cool. I, I totally understand. And it makes sense after talking with, talking with people how that ended up happening. Mm-hmm. But it was it's an, another opportunity for me to develop a different set of skills. So now my approach to my research is uh, more of a, a large picture meta analysis, trying to analyze both quantitatively and qualitatively my research, which is on indicators. Like, mm-hmm. how do we measure culture? How do we come up with these really well-defined categories and ways to measure culture mm-hmm. as it relates to ecology. 
which is a fuzzy topic. Right. Yeah. I'm excited. Fuzzy logic. <laughs> fuzzy logic. Which is a great paper by Fikret Burkis, and I highly recommend oh, it. Oh, yeah. I remember. Okay. I knew that sounded familiar, and I was trying to think of what article that was. Yeah. You knew off the top of your head. I did not. <laughs> so any of you science nerds out there listening, if you're into TEK stuff, read everything you can from Fikret Burkis. He's been doing research for decades on specifically TEK, mm-hmm. but in all these different ways. And there's a really cool article that he wrote. Uh, I, I'm not sure if he wrote it with... I'm not sure if it's his wife or a relative, but there's another author. Oh, there's another Burkis. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so... They put this paper together, and actually, I don't know if it's actually them. I'm probably mixing papers up, but he's the first author, Mm. and that's funny. I almost never remember the other author's names. Right. It's usually the first one, et al. Et al. But it's called Fuzzy Logic, and dot, dot, dot. There's another part of it, but you could just even just go on Google Scholar Mm -hmm. and and type in Fikret, F-I-K-R-E-T, and then fuzzy logic, and you'll probably find it. And it's really fascinating how he's use he's kind of correlating this concept in, I believe it's in programming, where they're mm. they use this programming language to create this fuzzy logic, where mm-hmm. it's able to kind of it, it's not hard bound logic, yeah. but it can kind of diverge into different directions and use holistic type logical. T- and mm-hmm. now I'm I'm starting to speak <laughs> out of my ass now because I don't really know much about the actual fuzzy logic as it relates to programming, but he he was using that as a, a way to describe how indigenous people view the world mm-hmm. and how indigenous people gain knowledge and actually get can get completely different data sets using different ways of logically understanding things. It's pretty cool. And just that 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 term, fuzzy logic. Fuzzy logic. I like it. And that's a good point to. I, th- I think that's a great way to to just kind of stray into different ways of thinking about the same data, because yeah. there's nothing wrong with modern science. Modern no. science is pretty awesome. We would not be speaking mm-hmm. into your ears right now without it. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I just from my research that I've been doing, it, it, the main one of the main differences, and there's quite a few, but there's also a lot of similarities between indigenous science mm-hmm. and modern science. And indigenous science is much more deeply tied to the ethical framework and the value system mm-hmm. than modern science is. In a lot of ways, modern science has been systematically disconnecting itself from that, and that's. In my view, that's a part of where its strength came from. But with every good thing, there's always a dark side. And that's where we get like uh, one of my favorite examples is nuclear technology where the intent was was good. good And but it got turned into a weapon that can now potentially wipe out most of life on the surface of the planet. Did you finish watching Chernobyl? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I'm going to... You know what? I don't even care. I'm going to tell people to watch it anyways. People are really upset that I keep telling people to watch it. (laughs) But I don't care. It's a good one. So I was really disappointed in Game of Thrones. The Uh, only thing that made Game of Thrones better was that on Mondays after that, they had a mini series called Chernobyl. And while it's not in Russian, I know some people's complaints are it's not in Russian. Well, it's um, they weren't... Trying to get to a Russian audience. They weren't. It's for it's clearly for Americans, but it's like a pretty historically accurate depiction of what happened in Chernobyl and how that nuclear plant exploded. It's pretty hardcore. And it's, it is. It's probably one of the main things that caused the downfall of the Soviet Union. Oh my gosh. The love for Mother Russia is insane. Just watch it. That's all I got to say. Yeah. I've never really understood Russian politics or really kind of how people could love a country that much until i watched chernobyl russia is a trip it is it really is i'm so fascinated by russian history and the and it's weird to say russian culture because you can't really say russian culture because it's in a lot of ways it's still an empire it's mm-hmm. got lots of cultures just in its present day borders let alone the borders of the soviet union yeah 
So, I mean, it's it's really fascinating. And even within Russia, like, you can go to Moscow and mm-hmm. experience something completely different than if you were to go to the northern parts of the country mm-hmm. or if you are to go to the southern parts of the country. It's huge. It is just such a huge country. I, I can't even imagine how. I think Montana is huge until I look at Russia and I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting is they only it's only 150 million people, give or take. Oh, so it's a lot of... Uh, it's like Siberia and Siberia. and then Western Russia. Um, Most of it's in the Siberian plateau and uh, and then there's the Ural region and then Eastern Siberia and then the whole Eastern Asia, Kamchatka region. Yeah. And then uh, and then west of the Urals, that's where most of the population's at. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd still love to go there. Me but... too. And I've never been there, but I know a shit ton about it. Right. So what, or maybe not that much because yeah. I don't think you can really learn that much, like actually about a place until you really visit it's there either. and you meet the people and spend time there. Anyways, yeah, Russia and Chernobyl. So yeah. that's I think that's a great example of modern science gone astray, gone awry. Yeah, is and, where the value system mm-hmm. that's guiding the use of the the, the tools of modern science kind of gets jacked up and right. doesn't quite line up with human rights and stuff like that ethically responsible people and not even to the people but to the land as well Mm -hmm. and to the animals and for the things that necessarily doesn't have a voice which yeah it explained a lot and it was interesting i really liked it i liked the production of it i liked i ended up googling a lot of stuff to make sure that it was factually correct and they tried really hard to make sure i got the chills once they um like, because at a certain point, it has that beam. All right, I don't, I don't oh, want to give too yeah. many spoilers, but so th- this is something. If you do go and watch that show, is to remember that that is an earlier version of the Type Two reactor. That's what I wanted to talk because you started talking about, that, and I know you've talked about the newest ones that are supposed to be a lot, lot better. Yeah, the Generation Four reactors. Mm-hmm. They can use up to seventy percent of spent fuel rods. And this is something that's been downplayed in the United States for a long time is mm-hmm. uh, reusing old fuel and like not having these uh, depository or uh, what are they called? That's where you leave, where you deposit the old fuel rods. Okay. And so and there's a lot of good reasons, uh, very noble reasons why people fight that kind of stuff. But at the same time, coal produces way more radioactive material than nuclear power plants do isn't coal from isn't the berkeley pit because of coal the berkeley pit is because of copper oh copper Copper. good old copper yeah it was the (laughs) biggest it was the biggest copper mine i know at least in the united states if not in the world for a long time i know in the top three at least dang so it was a very very important mine for the develop the advent of the modern world because a lot of Copper went into the invention of a lot, all sorts of electronics and all sorts of technology that people enjoy and take for granted now. Even, I mean, I consider myself a lover, a lover of all life. Mm-hmm. But here, I, here we are with our computer screens going on microphones. Right. I mean, I use a cell phone, and those are extremely energy intensive. And all the different mm-hmm. me- toxic metals that go into producing cell phones is Right. It's a little bit heartbreaking. Every time I like lift up my phone, a little piece of my soul kind of <laughs> just dies. Oh no. So I got a question. Do those Gen 4 reactors, do they use less water? Or do they still use as much water as the older versions? You know what? I haven't looked into them that much. I all I know is that they can use the a lot of the spent fuel and they have all sorts of safety mechanisms. Mm. Unlike a, a lot of the older reactors yeah. didn't have safety. They had safety mechanisms, but they had, they were still faulty to human error. Yeah. Which, and which exactly yeah. is what happened at Chernobyl. Yeah. It, it wasn't giving away too much. But, it, but it's Watch interesting it. because it was a mixture of human error as well <laughs> as just creation error. Old school yeah. technology. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's good. I got off traffic again. But. I've been literally telling everybody to watch that. So now I'm going to tell you guys, you should watch it. It's a good mini series. It's sad. It's very sad. I won't sugarcoat anything. It's a very, very harsh mini-sode, mini episodes to watch. But if you have any interest in Chernobyl, 
like I did. I had it before that came out, and so I think that's why I was so drawn to it. But it's good. It's very good. So now that we're about halfway into the show, let's go and take a quick break for our uh, sponsors, which is me us <laughs> and we just want to give a shout out to everybody that supported us on the being indigenous in the modern world campaign yes, we did. thank you so everyone that bought a t-shirt or a hoodie thanks a lot My not much. only does that help us fund the show and may, uh, just be able to buy better equipment mm-hmm. oh which reminds me i have your business cards yeah we bought business cards with our money yeah we and official now now we can look like pros when we go and tell people and they're curious about a show we we can we have cards yeah we're real professionals now Mm -hmm. (laughs) and my uh my kids are they my boys talk about like like video games Mm -hmm. and sometimes they'll watch youtube videos about like roblox and they say oh he's a pro and so i I ask so do they get paid for it and they they say oh i don't think so and i say well then he's really really good because to be Pros a pro you, you, yeah you get paid to do what you do so we're we're almost there or maybe officially kind of sorta yeah <laughs> I, we're about 25% there probably yeah we're uh, 20 to 25% professional <laughs> right now but yeah just thank you a lot for helping us sponsor the show and if you want to continue to support the show we have a link at our website to where you can go to paypal and Shoot us a donation, however much you want. Mm-hmm. It all helps. And it does. Add over. Cut back to the show. We need some kind of cool, like, yeah, like some transition music or something. We will. So, and, and when you're talking about the Chernobyl and like nuclear technology, this is something I'm torn on because there is the potential for catastrophic failure like yeah. with chernobyl and long uh, three mile island and mm-hmm. fukushima and so there's that potential but i wonder if if we're this and we're if we're really in such a bad position gl- with global warming mm-hmm. and global climate change and we really want to help transition our fuel source to a clean sustainable source of fuel there's almost no other alternative besides nuclear because wind is intermittent and batteries are extremely caustic and they have horrible environmental impacts and same with solar panels the all the different metals that go into producing solar panels Mm -hmm. like i I had no idea until i started looking into this and i thought are are these really actually green quote unquote air, Mm -hmm. air quotes here green energy they can be and but they're not there yet right now it takes a lot of carbon to create solar panels it and the wind creates all sorts of other problems with migratory birds and bats and insects so all these different technologies have problems just like nuclear Mm -hmm. but nuclear is really the only realistic option as far as being able to switch over the whole grid and actually replace coal and fossil hmm. fuels as for the energy grid. But then there's the transportation industry. What are we going to do about that? Yeah. That's a whole nother basket. And this is something we could do a whole series or a whole, at least a whole episode on is renewable energy, clean energy, sustainable energy. There's all these different buzzwords that go into the, yeah. the energy. And we, it's a hard question and there's no easy answers to it. There's and the, my opinion on it is that w- we we need to be looking at all the options at this point because coal is not yeah. going to cut it. And if we don't switch off coal, it's good. They're going to keep burning it and mm-hmm. they're going to keep digging it out of the ground. They're going to keep going for oil. They're going to keep putting in pipelines. Yeah. And that's not going to stop until there's a better option. And wind and solar, are they're just not adequate at this point in time. Yeah. If you're from Montana, you should really um, send a letter to Steve Bullock. He just approved that the Keystone Pipeline can be in Montana. So make sure that you are contacting him in his office to make sure that you are getting your voice heard in some way that you can. Because that is not something that we need. Yeah. And and I also think that we need to cut down on the oil consumption and the fossil fuel mm-hmm. burning for a lot of reasons. Environmentally, the coal is horrible. And like I said, it produces all sorts of toxic chemicals in the environment. Plus, it, it produces radioactive elements into the environment mm-hmm. more than nuclear, which is something that I never knew until I, I started doing the research and like really digging into this. 
And uh, and that's when I came across the Gen Four reactors, mm. and and I thought, whoa, this is crazy. And it got I got curious, and so now I have all sorts of different <laughs> articles and all these different publications and different science literature that I'm have stacked up presently to, mm-hmm. to start reviewing. So right now I, I'm not really sold on nuclear, <laughs> but it seems like a a relatively okay option if we want to move away from coal and fossil mm-hmm. fuels, and and then at the same time, though, uh, if people disappear somehow, who's to say we won't go extinct? We're going to leave all that behind. Yeah. And those are going to melt down eventually. Yeah, same and issues as exactly, Chernobyl. So there's no easy answers uh, to this. And yeah. something that I really, so I never really thought about before with this was the, the values and ethics behind this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one of the major differences between Indian science and modern science is that Indian science or indigenous science is very deeply tied to the ethical framework, mm-hmm. very deeply tied to spirituality and to ceremony. And whereas modern science almost kind of systematically kind of try to divorce itself from that which has yielded lots of cool things, lots of amazing tools and fun gadgets and gizmos, but at what cost? It's true. That's a, that's a really big question that Mm -hmm. there's no easy answers to that. But what I, the point I'm getting to here is that what I really hadn't considered before with the sustainable energy stuff was what about developing countries? What about these countries that are trying to bring themselves out of of poverty and feed Mm -hmm. their people what are they going to do? Well, I mean, you see what's happening in India with their water. Oh, yeah. You know, massive water shortages. I, and- yeah. And I think that that's just the first step. Like, that's that's the first part of us realizing that we have a huge population that lives on this earth. So how do you keep it sustainable for future generations? Because our population is only going to increase. To a point. To a point. Most most projections cap out around 9 or 10 billion. So we have about three more billion people to go. <laughs> yeah. And that's still a lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of people and people I mean, live in, you know, people, who, yeah. Who are we to say is a lot of people? I mean, we really don't know. We're just simple humans and yeah. we don't really have a baseline. We don't have another species like us no. to like say, "Oh, well, here's how they did it and this is how they messed it up and this is yeah. how they did well." We only have ourselves to compare ourselves to. Right. And I think that's why it's so challenging to to solve some of these issues is we just don't have any examples to follow. And that's where I think indigenous science is going to help big time because it helps re-engage us into our spirituality mm-hmm. at a sign and in science. And that is the wave of the future. There's we're not there's no way we're going to stop the advancement of technology. Mm-hmm. And there's no way we're going to stop the advancement of science. And but if we can inject some ethics into there somewhere, yeah, it's going to help a lot. Ethical science, exactly, yeah, exactly, and especially in the hard sciences, mm-hmm. because that's where a lot of these innovations come from, that are becoming so powerful as forces mm-hmm. on the surface, just changing the nature of the surface of the planet. It's it's pretty mind boggling. Man, that would be a good episode of talking about some ethical science work that's happening. Huh. Yeah. And there's plenty of it going on. There is. Yeah. There there's a lot. Like uh what's his name? Um Jaden Smith and Will Smith's son. He just created a water filter system for um Flint, Michigan. Oh. Where um it you know, since the US government hasn't really done a whole lot for him, that cool. he stepped up and did it for him. It's like a little like square thing that filters their water. Way to go, Jaden Smith. I always thought he was a little kind of just like a little. No, he's like a really big activist. I didn't think so either. I always he thought he was like just yeah. Will Smith's sidekick. No, like he never yeah. seemed like he was that good of an actor, and he never really quite seemed like he was mm-hmm. doing anything. But that's that's freaking awesome. He just did something else too. Oh my gosh, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, he started a food truck called I Love Food. Oh, I it, I think I saw uh, yeah. something about that. Where he don't he they just a bunch of I can't remember what area it is, but he feed the people feed, feed the people the poor people. Know? And you know what? I think that's a, such a better idea than just going and just giving mm-hmm. money out to everyone. Feed them. Yeah, yeah, because you know what? Sometimes people that's what they need is they need that thousand bucks to be able to 
pay their bills and mm -hmm. lift themselves up out of poverty. But some people will get that money and they'll end up in the ditch. Yeah. All fucked up on cocaine and alcohol. So I don't think that's the best option is to just give everybody money. Right. Is, but like, is, we need yeah. some better ethical frameworks going on here before people get the money. Because mm -hmm. I know at one point in my life, you give me a thousand bucks of free cash, I'm not going to use it for good things. No, I, I definitely wouldn't have either. And I think that a lot of it, you know... I think that the way that we treat our veterans says a whole lot about the ethical framework of the United States hmm. and the fact that a lot of the homeless people are veterans. You know, I think that that's what a lot of people don't think about. Cause I think that when you see a homeless person, you just think it's someone who doesn't work hard, but like, what if it's someone who is a veteran who suffers from PTSD, who really can't function in the way that they used to at one point? Yeah, and, and each each one has their own story, too. Exactly. And so, like, I just love what he's doing, and I just want to talk about it. Because that is something that's ethical and science-based. You know, like, he's using a food truck, which is very, very modern now. Like, people have food trucks popping all over the place. Yeah, it's very I want to start a food truck. Yeah, it's convenient. You can drive it where you want. Like, I don't know. There's just so there's some cool stuff. I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about more. I know. There's all there's a that's the beauty of podcasting is <laughs> you can basically think of any idea and say you know what we can do an episode yeah. on that. And I don't know if that's a good thing because my mind just wanders. <laughs> I just text you all the time randomly like, hey, yeah. what about an episode on this? Or like, what about this? We have a lot of episodes lined up. <laughs> yeah, and so. Getting back to the topic of this episode, being indigenous in the modern world, I think that's something that I would like to talk more about with other people that don't think they're indigenous is mm -hmm. to just remind them you can, you can be indigenous too. Yeah. And it's not about the color of your skin. It's not about you living on your ancestral lands, although that has a lot to do with it. But <laughs> God, hey, kids, those that, little res kids, man. Yeah, <laughs> that has a lot to do with it too, is, is uh, remembering the value of family. Exactly. And that it's not just your kids and your parents and your wife or your husband, mm -hmm. but it's about our other relatives too, like the plants outside or the insects and the animals, the microorganisms and the birds. in the soil. Exactly. So yeah. they're and and the the healthier they are, the healthier mm -hmm. we're gonna be. And this is something indigenous people know fundamentally. Yeah. And now the modern scientific world is beginning to recognize that as well, especially in ecology. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most fundamental concepts of ecology. I mean, interconnectivity. Like, yeah. You can only live in a certain area as long as that area is sustainable. That's right. And once you have overstayed there for a long time and you're not living in a sustainable, respectful way, you know, then what's going India. That's what happens. You know, you you end up in a situation where the land can no longer. Mm, I don't want to say provide, but the land can no longer really give its full potential. Mm, yeah, and it's it's kind of also a call to action, and this is something I've been thinking about is. So the name of the episode is Being Indigenous in the Modern World. But I would like to encourage anyone listening, if you feel like you're not indigenous, to be indigenous in the mm -hmm. modern world. And a lot of that means just remembering your ancestors, whether they come from Europe or from Asia, which is kind of interesting. Sometimes I wonder, like, isn't Europe just kind of like the western tip of Asia? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you look at it and like, is, is Asia the smallest continent? Or is, I mean, I mean, Europe, is that the smallest continent i think australia might be hmm. you know they discovered a new one they're calling uh zealandia i think they they found that new zealand and other islands like new caledonia they're actually just the upper tippy tops oh, they're the very tippy tops something deeper so yeah. not like the hawaii like polynesian islands yeah they're just they're, it's just a continent that's sub oh, mostly submerged interesting yeah. i didn't hear about that it's weird so now there there's no longer what is it's a it's a it's a new continent, so, but I don't know if it's bigger or smaller than Australia. But who knows? Anyways, uh, Europe uh, it is technically its own plate, I think. So it, it's a, a continent. It's not the eastern western tip of Asia. <laughs> 
even though when you look on a map, it totally looks like that. It does. It really does. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But then you could also say, well, China, East Asia, that's just like the Eastern. Well, it kind of doesn't quite make sense, though, because Asia is so hulking and huge. Asia is huge. Yeah. And, and ginormous. It blows my mind when I look at maps of like Genghis Khan's empire and how crazy oh massive it was. And it was just in a few decades. Right. They took over almost the whole thing. And I had no idea how far into Europe they went until I knew that they'd gotten into Eastern Europe, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that they pretty much conquered Hungary and Poland. Oh, wow. They just didn't like completely annex the area and take full control of the land base. Uh But they went in and totally destroyed their armies to where they, if they stayed, they would have very likely annexed that area and it folded it into the the empire Mm -hmm. but the the mongols had a weird situation where every time a khan the one of the great khans would die whoever was leading the whole mongol empire they all the leaders went all the way back to mongolia to vote on a new khan so every time that happened that's what stopped them from going further into europe was the, the khan at the time died and so they stopped and went back boom Thousands and thousands of miles to go vote for a new con. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's a trip. I, yeah, it's it's a fascinating story, the the Mongols and what they did and just how brutal they were. Yeah. And, like, we think some of the modern warfares Whoa. or some, like, we think what happened in, in the United States was brutal. Holy crap. What the Mongols did was ruthless. But yeah. it was weird because they had this crazy ethics about it to where, like, hey, if you just give up. We won't slaughter every single one of you. <laughs> but if you don't, we're slaughtering every single person. Yeah. And and they had this rule where they would, the very first city mm-hmm. on a campaign always got massacred down to Jeez. the last person as an example to like to the rest of the people of that country. Like if you fight, this is what's going to happen. Man. It's hardcore. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. I mean, well, because I only know a little bit about Genghis Khan's daughter who... She was a princess, but... Didn't he have, like, a hundred daughters? He did, but there was one that was, like, a warrior who um, refused to marry anybody unless they beat her at a a fight. And there was, like, a hundred or so people that tried and no one won. Yeah, and that's another trippy thing about their culture was women had a lot... Mm -hmm. They were, like, some of the first feminists. They had a lot of rights. And they had a lot of power. Some women were there. They became their own cons and they yeah. controlled territory and armies and They're stuff. They're great. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe an episode on that. I don't know. Yeah, so many hist- episodes historical, about happen. You could fold that into a historical context one. <laughs> 20 billion episodes. But being indigenous in the modern world. Yeah. I think is really important for everybody. And just be indigenous in the modern world is yeah. extremely important. And I'm finding that in my internship and really kind of changing my own worldview and making sure that i portray that in the work that i do Mm -hmm. and have you met people where um where you talk about some of these ideas but they feel hesitant to speak on them even though they respect indigenous people they want to help and be allies and things like that but they feel like they can't contribute to the conversation because they're not indigenous have you ever had that happen um yeah and you know i think that that plays a lot into the idea of cultural appropriation versus appreciation appreciation yeah you know of like you don't want to overstep too it's, far exactly yet, you know which is fine you know it's like, like the difference between just outright stealing yeah and like claiming this for your own and really appreciating someone's culture and and because in a weird way we've that's one of the most beautiful things we do is we share our cultures with mm-hmm. each other and that's one of the mo- fundamental ways we have peace is to is to when we when we can actually share our cultures with each other it's one of the best ways to solidify peace between different cultures is when we can actually share our cultures with one another so it's a really challenging yeah. question because there's definitely i don't know if like i think that's probably what a cultural appropriation is is the the difference between stealing and claiming it as your own and then trying to profit from it and actually really appreciating it and trying to learn and understand the mm-hmm. culture. Well, in the words of Colors of the Wind. Who's that? Pocahontas. Oh. The Disney movie Pocahontas. <laughs> Is that someone's name? Uh, Colors of the Wind. No, it's the song she sings. Oh, okay. You know, I haven't seen that like movie for a long time. The waterfall. The colors uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how that goes. 
Um, so one of these, so we were talking about that earlier, um, about something and I don't even know what we were talking about, but for some reason it made me think about this song. And so one of them talks about, it's a lyric. I don't condone people watching this movie because Pocahontas is not a real depiction of the actual Pocahontas. If you do want to learn more about Pocahontas, don't watch Disney's version of it. That's my little side tangent as well. Um, but they say in the song, it says, but if you walk the footsteps of a stranger, you'll learn things you never knew. Mm, Which I think I is remember really that. important. Yeah. But that's weird because how do you actually, I don't know if that's possible to actually watch, unless you're following them it's directly not. and you're like paying really close attention to their, but so I, I mean, it's, it's like a literal. Like trying to put yourself in that situation of where they're Yeah, in. like empathy. You, yeah, like empathy, like understanding like, hey, you're going through something while well, I'm not going through it. I understand that you are and I want to help you get through that. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you can't contribute to the conversation mm-hmm. and contribute to the development of ideas. I think the way I think about that is, is is you acknowledge that we all experience the world differently. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we can't come together and share our experiences yeah. and learn from that. And that's really important. And sometimes it's a really hard because our experiences are so different mm-hmm. that sometimes it's really tough to actually share those with each other. But that's why it's so important because some of the hardest conversations in life are the most important ones. It is. And, you know, I think that... Um Oh my god, I don't remember what government website just did that. They released a proper protocol for picking huckleberries. Oh, yeah. nice. And so, which is great because, you know, we're in a very high population where huckleberries So, no, no cutting well. them down, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that that's somewhere where you can be indigenous in the modern world, is that you can go to somebody who traditionally harvests it or a sustainably harvest huckleberries that you can learn from them. And then you yourself can build a better relationship to land yeah. and plants. And with that proper relationship and in, in using the, the ethical framework to guide you mm-hmm. in that process of going and getting huckleberries, for example, it could actually help mm-hmm. the huckleberries thrive even more. Yeah. Cause I asked Kaya and I was like, Kaya, if I was to grow huckleberries, how would I do it? It's a long, 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 long process to grow huckleberries. Yeah, they're by very picky about their soils and their, their, their light and mm-hmm. what kind of fire disturbance they got going. And yeah, because he told me you had to trick them into thinking that they're cold, so you have to freeze them, and then you have to rethink. You re have to trick them into then sprouting and getting over that first frost. It was crazy what he told me, and I. I, I think that everybody should look at it that way. You know, that if you had to grow are it so yourself. Hard to pick. Yeah, they I, are. Like, which is why people just cut them down wrong. You know, because they are really, they're, it's time it's consuming. Like one one, one here, at a time. Two here. Yeah. And then eventually after an hour, you got a half a gallon. <laughs> and you're just like, oh God, I got to go walk again. You got to go high in the or mountains. Maybe, maybe I just suck at picking. <laughs> no, no, it's true. That's what you should do. I mean, it should take you a long time. But I think people now just pull the whole branch off. Yeah. You know? I've heard of be like, I've heard of folks going up and just cutting down whole bushes. Yeah. And packing them out that way and then taking them off. And yeah. That's, so, like, that's definitely not helpful. Right. So that's one way to be indigenous in the modern world, you know, like yeah. going that ethically harvesting. I'm all for people getting back into the land in any way that they feel necessary. Just making sure that you follow these I don't know, protocols, principles, guidelines. Yeah. Frameworks. Frameworks for like sustainably living on the land and being connected with the land. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is kind of a little bit of a controversial topic, especially for scientists, but religion. And yeah. a, a lot, there's a lot of Christians and Catholics and, uh, in this country or in Protestants. So to, to remember those teachings in those religions, those come from a certain place. Mm-hmm. And, but they're not from the United States. They're not from this place. So... I would encourage anyone that follows those religions to think of ways that they can connect those teachings to this place Mm -hmm. and how those frameworks of values and ethics can help guide them when they go out and go hiking or they go and harvest huckleberries Mm -hmm. or they're going out and just recreating or doing whatever you're doing, connecting with the landscape. Because that that's where our values come from is our religions. Yeah. That's from our spirituality. It's not and from our stories specifically. It's not like we decide, okay, we value this thing. This is an important ethic that we mm-hmm. want to follow. So let's put that in our stories. <laughs> it doesn't really work like that. 
the values and the ethics arise from our stories and the stories <laughs> come from the places. So that's really important to remember and to figure out how we can re-indigenize those stories. Yep. I think that's a huge step exactly. for anybody that would consider themselves not indigenous is think of those stories that you grew up with mm -hmm. and those ethical frameworks that come from those stories. How can you relate those to the place that you are? And how can you yeah. relate those and find common ground with the indigenous stories and maybe learn some of those indigenous stories mm -hmm. and see where we agree with each other? Because in my opinion, we agree with each other on a lot more than we disagree with right. each other. We just really get, we really get uptight about how we express Schmantics. those stories and what yeah. words we decide to use and what those words mean. And that's kind of the beauty and the horror of English is it's so yeah. interpretable and there's so many different words for the same thing. And the same thing can have so many different words mm -hmm. and different interpretations that have slight, diff slightly different meanings. And it's crazy. I mean, that's a part of why I like English, but it's also a part of why I really don't like it's annoying it's so sometimes. It's hard, yeah. It's so confusing. Now, yeah, now I am really beginning to value religion like I never had before, like Western uh, Western European religion, mm -hmm. because I, when I grew up, I was just those dang Christians, they destroyed our people. Uh, and then, I, but then I started realizing, wait a minute, it wasn't really the Christians. It was more like these institutions, yeah. these fundamental structures that were pushing these individuals out into the world. Whereas the individuals, they probably were just trying to do their best and like survive in a really hostile environment. And they had nothing else to go with. They had no other way to, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. Yeah. So, but I'm not saying there weren't shitty people. Yeah. I was like, there were, there were some shitty, some shitty Jesuits. We won't so, talk about that. So, and, but that's again, that's the institution. Yeah. It wasn't like just the average person who believes in their religion, who's just trying to do the best for their family yeah. and their community. They're, they're not a part of that institution. They, they are part of what upholds it. Mm -hmm. but it's these in massive institutions that make all the rules. And once the rules become rigid, rigid enough, it starts to become tyrannical yeah. and then all sorts of bad things can happen. So it's, so as individuals, anyone yeah. out there listening, if you can remember your stories and your, and your, and just remember your heart and how that can relate to and connect to the land, mm -hmm. it's pretty simple. And I would do the same thing if I go, when I go to Europe, if, when I go to Europe, when I'm going to do the dang, that dang thing. Over <laughs> <there>. <laughs> oh I'm going to do gosh. the same because I, I value that place for that place. And I know I'm going to be asking people about their values and how I would conduct myself over there would be different yeah. than if I were to go over to Asia. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm going to learn the language. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. I'm going to learn their language. And another thing, another thing is I want to learn some of their stories. Yeah. And I want to learn about the plants and the landscape. And maybe I might visit like a a giant church or two <laughs> just to see how huge and crazy they, they are. are. You know, I went to Turkey and I got to see a lot of their mosques over there. They're Holy beautiful. Huh? They're beautiful. It's it's insane. You know, I love as as negative as the mission church has. I think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think that you can appreciate the work that was done there and you can appreciate how it connects to people in a way that necessarily it may not connect to you in a way. It is still beautiful. Yeah. I think that, yeah. And the, yeah. Religion's a, one of those weird subjects that I myself uh, have a religion of Annie. It's just my religion. I pick and choose from a lot of different places. You mm. just live your life. I think, yeah, institutions end up being a little fuzzy. Yeah. And so with that being said, to finish off the episode, I, I know we haven't gotten to this every episode. Sometimes <laughs> we forget. And that's, it seems so funny. For, I forgot to be grateful. So yeah. I'm very grateful for different cultures and different perspectives because it really seems like the the culture informs your perspective 
big mm-hmm. time, especially if you actually practice the culture on a day-to-day basis. Oh my gosh, yes. Because I've learned a lot about my own culture just by trying to understand other people's cultures mm-hmm. and and the value that they have in their culture and the beauty that can be there. And And then also, <laughs> sometimes I don't like the other culture. And that teaches me a lot about myself. Mm-hmm. So... And I'm not going to say that I think all cultures are the same or equal even. Yeah. But we can all learn from each other's cultures. That's for sure. And I'm really grateful for that. I mean, I agree. I definitely am thankful for how indigenous communities stick together. I think that that is something that I learned over um, Arlie Asiopkini, especially during the memorial dance. Revolutions. Yeah, that will be our next episode is Revolution Science Part Part 1, where we're going to talk about fire and something else. Fire. Yeah, fire. Just fire. (laughs) It'll be a good one. Yeah, there's fire and something else, but I don't want to say it because it's it's supposed to be. It's a a local secret. Ooh. But not really. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a cool little, we're doing our own little mini series, I guess, of different parts of revolutions from, oh my gosh, since obviously since the beginning of fire until now. Yeah, basically as far back as we could think, Yeah, all the way till present day. This should be a good little series. Yeah, so the first one will actually define the difference between evolution and revolution. Ooh. Which there, I didn't know there, there's a difference until there, now. Yeah, there totally is. <laughs> it's and it's not even subtle, but we'll get there when we get there. Right. So thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you like the episode, make sure you go to our iTunes page and you leave us a review. Yes. Give us a like. Yes, and five stars. Five stars. Just Only because five stars. Just because you, you want to. If you don't like iTunes, you can also follow us on our social media pages. Oh, yeah, and you can drop a comment or leave a review on there, too. Yep, mm-hmm. and we also have a website. Yes, we do. <laughs> and it's a really cool one called IndianScienceShow.wordpress.com. But if you'd like to just access our site directly from the place that hosts it, it's the same thing, but indianscienceshow.podient.co. We would love to hear from you guys. Yeah. And Indian Science Show is spelled N-D-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S-H-O-W dot wordpress dot com. Thank you for lending us your ears, and now you should go use your fingers and your eyes to go leave us a review. Yes.